Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. Right. It's that time again. We're back on the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. I'm your host, Jay, here at the Brewing Network Studios in downtown Concord with Scott. Hey, Scott. Hello. And Bevo in the house. Hi, I'm Hi, listening B. now. <laughs> wow. How's the uh, online shopping and on the phoning going? I was on the phone with Justin Crossley. I don't know if you know him. No. <laughs> Never heard of him. He writes my checks. Oh. Well, I write Actually, my you own, write checks, your own checks, but he okays them. <laughs> Sort of. Kind of. How's he doing? I guess still, fine. Still hungover? The same. I think he's still hungover. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Justin. Man, what a, what a last few days it's been. What a whirlwind. Great party. I'm, uh, I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I had to duck out of there at 2 a.m. And I, everyone looked at me like, let's see. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, 2 in the morning. It's, yeah. That's, that's late for a Monday <laughs> yeah, night. It was Monday. <laughs> for God's sakes. Speaking of party, we have a uh, Joe Map from Night Shift on. Before we get to them, I'm going to remind you to email us with feedback. Scott at thebrewingnetwork.com. Jay at thebrewingnetwork.com. Uh, you can watch us, thebrewingnetwork.com slash TV. Listen live, the Brewing Network app. I say Brewing Network a lot at the top, but it's because we're on Brewing Network. Search BN Mobile. Subscribe and leave feedback. And uh, we'll read it on the air, you know? We love you guys. Absolutely. So, well, and let me I, I want to give you a shout out. I, I want to ask this about live stuff. Uh, are we doing, I remember for a minute there we were live on Facebook. Are we doing that any longer? We are not currently, but that's just because we switched over to a new, new sort of situation. We have the ability to be. I don't actually know how to yet. Okay, so we were, but we're not now, we but were, we might again. but we're not, but we will be again. <laughs> okay. Also, you can't call because we don't have phones. The anymore. phones are down? They're gone. Oh, why? Yeah, because nobody ever called. Really? Really? <laughs> and it was expensive. Oh, no kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah, so we got rid of it. So now if you want to call, call on Skype. Really? Even on the session? Oh, on Skype. Yeah. You can still call, just don't oh, call the okay. landline. Yeah, I was going to say on the session, too, because you guys get calls. Yeah. No. No. Yeah, I guess it's just a different. I mean, there used to be, you know, drunk of the week calls and it's stuff. A, but it's that, a new era, though. Like phone yeah, calls, I know, are not a thing anymore. They're really not, right? right. Would you like randomly? Ugh, it's my worst nightmare. And also, <laughs> we don't have a lot of live listeners. Most of them are podcast downloads because we moved it to Monday, and people have work and mm, yeah, yeah. The session. Not like us. We have tons of live. Yeah, listeners. yeah, yeah totally. all, all of them. <laughs> all of, them. Well, all if, of the if, listeners. If you think about the difference, even you know, I mean, there there were phone calls on the show for the first, I don't know, year. You know, which was that was 2014. That's mm-hmm. already five years ago. Yeah, you know, and there's, I guess, insane. there's a big difference between five years ago, like maybe. You know, there's radio was still a thing. I don't know. I guess a, lo- a lot changes in a short time, I guess is what I'm saying. And so, yeah, you're right. Nobody calls. Everyone texts everybody. People just don't think so about a phone. Us, text us in at yeah, 519. Right. No. <laughs> I know. I don't. Well, and you know what's interesting, too, is like, you know, I've been doing Stones Live, the, the Twitch poker stream. Mm-hmm. Twitch is it's a throwback because it's all live concurrent viewership. That is all. It's all chat room. Yeah, it's, it's all yeah. feedback in real time. It's it's going back to the roots like of like AOL and TV. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's 
exactly. Uh, but anyway, it's it's just a, it's just a different ball game. I mean, you know, I I'm a podcast guy. I listen to tons of podcasts, and mm-hmm. it's very infrequent that there's any sort of live interaction. Not only that, I'm in the industry. I mean, no one should be more aware of it than me, or like going out of my way to be a live participant. But mm-hmm. it's just not the nature of these types of broadcasts anymore. Yeah, my favorite, second favorite podcast. This one is this football podcast, and they now they do like a streaming video show once a week. Shout out around the NFL podcast. Mm-hmm. I like almost never get the chance to view it live because it's also in the it's, it's like right now on Tuesdays every right. week. And yeah. it's like, okay, well, I can view it later on Twitter, but you know, I can't interact even though I would totally do that. Totally. It's just an, an evolution of it's the an way people consume world. content. Yeah, exactly. That hates phone calls. <laughs> Absolutely. I love on demand and I hate it. phone calls. That's like, right. Hence the BN phone lines get cut. Bevo took a pair of gardening shears to the lines back there. Happily. Happily. I used a butter knife. Laughing maniacally with her butter knife in her hand. Oh, man. I just remembered so many times listening to Bevo on the BN just with weird phone issues going on and frustration. It was so terrible with the drunk of the week because there's no, like, rationale. You know, you call and... You do your thing, and then you hang up, and then somebody else calls, and they do their thing, and it's always annoying, and I can't understand them because they're eating their phone, and they're drunk, <laughs> and then the same guy calls back because he's 100% sure that he's drunker than the last guy that called. However, nobody wants Kevin's to talk. Kevin's right there, Bebo. Literally, nobody wants to talk to you again. Yeah, no God. kidding. You know, it's funny, too. Like, you know, when you go back and you listen to old, uh, you know, um, BNAs, the award shows, yeah. we spent a lot of time condensing the good thing, you know, to, to bring you those shows once a year. It was like the best drunk of the week calls the best game segments you know when you listen to that you're like this is hilarious but that's a year's worth of shows for like a four minute segment and the rest of it bevo actually had to deal with I, the and it's it not all the cream of the crop. my brain right right your poor brain is there any left of it no oh, <laughs> she gone just like the phones <laughs> You know who's not gone? Who? Maybe there. <laughs> Joe and Matt from Night Shift Oh, yeah. Brewing. <laughs> How? Hi, guys. Welcome back yep. to the show. Yeah. What's up? Uh, all right. So, sorry, sorry for the delay. We're we're a little off the rails early in this yeah. show. but This is about as close as we get to callers, which is we pick guests and then call them. Winning. They're hostage callers. Exactly. I've, I've locked Skype. You cannot hang up. <laughs> All right, so now I think I can't see it, but I think this is the Maynard Weiss guy. Yes, right? it is. So tell us about this one, you guys. So this is um, a little bit more representative of our standard Berliners. So a lot of the a lot of the Weiss beers are always uh, essentially two components that we think will contribute meaningfully to each other. So this is uh, blueberries and cinnamon. Uh, we have another beer that's um, kiwis and strawberries. We just today packaged another beer that's blackberry and lime. And then we've got one more, which is inspired by a Ricky. Yeah, Ricky Weiss. Uh, yeah, a lime Ricky, which is um, <laughs> lime, and, and, lime and raspberry. Yeah, sorry, raspberry. <laughs> we keep them really straight here. But, uh, yeah, so this is, again, made with the same process. Obviously, um, significant amount of fruit in this one, which is different than the other two you've had. But this is easily the more standard Weiss that we produce. Uh, we use... Oregon fruit, seemingly like everybody else, we can give them another shout out. Really easy to use. They're really easy to build ratios off of and can know you your dosing rates and all that <laughs> stuff. And uh, yeah. Would you guys say it's a good or great expression of the raw fruit? 
we really, really like their product. It's fun to fun to eat what doesn't make it into the uh, what doesn't make it into the fermenter. So I <laughs> will keep it around. Do you guys just eat it with a spoon straight? It has uh, happened. Yeah, it's nice. happened. We try to put it on something at least. Yeah, yeah. You could start a smoothie shop with just the leftovers. <laughs> Seriously. Awesome. Yeah. Well, when we first when we first started doing these, it was you know all fruited by hand and. And again, what we talked about earlier is getting to scale is anything over 20 barrels. That was like five days of work just to start peeling and processing fruit. And we slowly realized, you know, we're, we're not a, a fruit processing company uh, <laughs> as much as we would like to be. Uh, so we wanted to keep the real fruit, at, you know, as much as possible. We did not want to use kind of like a concentrate, uh, or, concentrate like or any, you know, artificial flavoring such as that. So we, we it, it took a while to find a good fruit provider. But once we landed on Oregon... Um, if they have the fruit we want, you know, they're typically our first stop. Uh, uh, and then we've also found some local companies that uh, are also fruit processors and, and they can do, you know, equally good products as well. But just Oregon fruit is just, you know, they work with brewers so much that they, they really gear it towards, you know, breweries. And it's been really great partnership. Fruit we actually brewing. found out how <laughs> they brew the sour hour. Yeah. Oh, really? There you go. Wow. Nice. Getting them accounts. Yeah. I, I'm not surprised at all that we're turning people on to Oregon fruit because oh, it's just yeah. I can't tell you how popular fruited sour beers are, and then how much like these guys are just saying. Like once you get to 20 BBL or maybe even less, depending on your staffing, it's like no, like let's not make that beer. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. just so many days of fruit processing, and it's like. Dude, we got to get back to making beer eventually. I of mean, course. this is cool. Well, but. yeah, and it makes for a good blurb in, you know, the interview or whatever that you're giving. And you're mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, we were there until midnight and we're husk- husking this and chopping that. Mm-hmm. But it's not really realistic, is it, for any sort of volume? Yeah. At one point, craft just becomes crazy. Yeah, you're just nuts. Yeah. <laughs> not this, I'm assuming this is the same knockout hot into a fermenter. Correct, you guys? Yeah, so this is actually the same process. So we're... we're we're really trying to not kill off any of that lactobacillus okay. live product, all that sort of stuff. You know, that being said, a way that we kind of refer to it internally is sort of like simple sour, right? So these beers are brewed with lactobacillus bacteria and then Chico ale yeast, right? These are like supposed to be very clean expressions of the two items that we've combined. So that's kind of like the the whole purpose is just... You know, there's not even Belgian yeast character in there, right? The, the kind of more classic Weiss character. It's just clean, tart, fruit, secondary component, in this case, cinnamon, and then that's that's it. Yeah, and I think that's that's well said. Simple sour, and, you know, I, I kind of call all these different techniques uh, quick sour, although sometimes, you know, they're, they're not really that quick. It's not like regular fermentation times. In fact, I wanted to ask you guys about that. Just when it comes to these Weiss series beers or, or, or even the, the tart IPA one, you know, we talked a lot about how to deliver this acidity to the initial primary fermentation. But then how do you experience the primary fermentation from there? I know you just said uh, use uh, Cal Ale and go from there, but Walk us through that process. Is it any slower than a normal, like, oh, one fermentation? Or, you know, how do you handle the ingredients and their amounts? And do you reuse that yeast ever? You know, kind of some of the other conversations that come up. Yeah, we played around with the, the yeast portion of this. Um, you know, the first variable we had to solve was the lacto. Uh, and then the second part was the yeast. And we typically see a couple more days um, onto our fermentation. 
but we can crank them out quicker. It just depends on the OG. Uh, it also depends on the pH at which we're kind of throwing in the yeast uh, as well. So we, what we learned pretty early on is just starting a fermentation at you know in the threes uh, is really just challenging for our for our strain of of house yeast. And so we had to kind of play around with, you know, where do we find this yeast to make a good fermentation? And what we found is we, starting with kind of yeast right out of a brick or a first generation um, or zero generation, depending on how you want to call it, we noticed a lot of kind of sulfur characters. And so we found was that, you know, getting a yeast slurry maybe from one of our, you know, lower ABV beers like a Whirlpool, that yeast, you know, first or second generation is very happy very healthy and, and is much more tolerant of that kind of acidic shock of starting, you know, fermentation in our mix for men. So that was kind of one variable that took a while to kind of hammer out. And so it, it makes it a little bit of challenging to find the right yeast to harvest in the cellar at the time we want to brew our Berliner, but we try whenever possible to harvest for those. And, and pretty much once once the yeast has gone through a, a sour fermentation, uh, we won't harvest that strain again. It's just we, we can and we have done it, but typically for these Berliners, we want to you know, we want to keep these Weiss series as, again, the, the background, that simple sour background is as kind of consistent as possible to really kind of highlight the fruit. And so we will typically just not use a, a strain after it's gone through a, a sour fermentation. In terms of uh, timing, we found that uh, fruit, when you add your fruit is a significant factor in terms of how long it's going to take to ferment out. Uh, so we actually will add our fruit essentially on day five of the true fermentation. So lactobacillus has, has dropped the acid. We've, or sorry, dropped the pH. We've added our brewer's yeast. And then on day five, after that addition of brewer's yeast, we'll add our fruit. Anytime we waited, uh, back, back in the day, we would wait kind of until fermentation was tapering off, add our fruit. And then we really saw this sort of asymptotic fermentation towards terminal gravity that kind of took forever but like that golden weiss which is just our souring process and dry hop that's a two-week beer and then the majority of the weiss series with the fruit is a four-week beer but we have found that different fruits will throw off different characters so mainer weiss actually took a lot longer the the blueberries seem to cause or imitate the production of diacetyl. Uh, so we pulled our samples at our normal time to run diacetyl tests to make sure we could crash the beers, and they came back negative for a lot longer than our normal beers come from. Gotcha. So I feel like with a lot of berry beers, there's a lot of like honey, yogurt kind of yeah. character in sours that you also kind of, they coexist with diacetyl and the beers that have diacetyl, but you could have a beer that's totally cleaned up from diacetyl, but it still has this like honey yogurt character. And when I had this beer first, I was like, man, I like, I get like the small, small amount of that, but not unpleasant. And I don't think if I wasn't, you know, in the brewing industry, I would even find that unpleasant on any level. It just, I have an association in my head where sometimes beers that we have that used to have a lot of diacetyl then clean up and still have this like yogurt honey thing going on. So is that something you guys have experienced? Definitely. So go ahead. Matt. Yeah. Just, we call it the Dannon cup, you know, like you have those <laughs> Dannon cups you, with the fruit in the bottom. You kind of have that, uh, that similar aroma, um, and almost consistency. And so, you know, 
to a level we like that, but if it gets too much, it's it, it can be off-putting. So we're trying to, you know, just again play around with these fruiting and fruiting timing, fruiting addition, fruiting style, and, and um, figure out what you know what's going behind it. And so for for Mainer, uh, the one we're drinking right now, when we pulled this sample at first, you know, we would heat it for our diacetyl test, and then all of a sudden there was this explosion of diacetyl. And we were like, all right, we gotta we gotta hold off. And then throughout the throughout the kind of conditioning period, what we ended up looking for was where does it not change between the sample we pulled from the fermenter and the uh, heated sample that we are now smelling, right? So that was uh, almost a way to kind of, like you said, rid us of the bias of like, oh, that's that's diacetyl, that's the off flavor, versus Mm -hmm. if you're not getting an, an increased expression of it, that's not what it is when you're heating your sample. Definitely. And if you're a home brewer interested in that, you can just look up forced diacetyl tests, something you can do at home, no problem, with either hot water bath or microwave. You can check your own beers for diacetyl. You've got a sous vide. Yeah, oh yeah. You've got to have a sous vide, by the way. Just side note. (laughs) Yeah, side note, if you don't have a sous vide, don't talk to us. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much don't talk to me. (laughs) All right, I think we're going to get to a quick question and then maybe a break. Can you guys hang on for one more uh, beer, one more segment? Sure. You know, this is a, a slightly lengthy question. Uh, oh. You want to do it when we get back from the break? I think that would that would make a little more sense. Sure. Then I'll save my uh, shout out to Mellow Minx until then, and yes. I'll do Wine and Hop, wineandhopshop.com, wineandhop.com. <laughs> God damn it! Locally owned and operated for over forty years, most items are going to ship within twenty four hours, and you, BN listeners, get eight dollars flat shipping rate on orders under twenty five pounds. Just enter BN shipping in the notes field of the shopping cart. Discount's going to be taken off after checkout. And hey, Madison, Wisconsin residents, go Matt LaFleur, new Green Bay head coach. Order your homebrew supplies <laughs> online at wineandhop.com and pick them up at Working Draft Beer Company located on Wilson Street right across from Central Park. We'll waive the shipping and give you half off your first beer, wineandhop.com. You know, you've always approached that domain effortlessly, wineandhop.com. Always. Always. Yeah. Effortlessly. Yeah, that's right. Effortlessly. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back with uh, the guys from Night Shift right after this. The 21st Amendment. Watch out! Do you like beer? They make beer. Watch out! Do you like friends and fun? They make friends and fun. Watch Do out! Do you still like to have a good time? The 21st Amendment. Watch out! The 21st Amendment in San Francisco, located at 563 2nd Street, two blocks from the building where baseball is seen and played. Try their beers in the pub or try them in the can. Featuring... Monk's Made with real monk. Watch out! So why not have the best time of your life? Go to the 21A and Sean O'Sullivan will personally greet you with a can of... Monk's The 21st Amendment. Watch out! This advertisement is not in any way affiliated nor associated with the 21st Amendment Bar and Pub, nor its subsidiaries or affiliates. This telecast is not copywritten by the 21st Amendment for the private use of the Brewing Network. Any use of this telecast without Jamil Zanishev's consent is prohibited. Socket JP. Yeah. Oh wow! Didn't expect 
Okay. Is that how it starts usually? No, I, I cut out the... Oh, okay. You, you go straight to the guitar oh, solo. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Uh, we're back, believe it or not. Sour Hour. I think our friends at Neshamity Creek Brewing, three times Philly, scene, Philly Beer Scene Magazine Brewer of the Year, two-time JBF Vienna-style lager medal winner, winner. Wow, doing great today. Two times for bronze for smoke lager, renovated tasting room with a variety of beer styles, hoppy double IPA, sessionable poundable lagers, oak fermented saisons and sour beers, free brewery tours on Saturdays. Next time you're around, check them out. New second location, brand new, open, obviously, for like two <laughs> years now. Check them out, NishamaniCreekBrewing.com. Yeah, I, Beav, I feel like we need to, uh, you know, have Jeremy at Nishamini give us uh, a couple of bullet points, some updated copy for uh, for promoting his awesome brewery. Because, I mean, you know, new location opening 28 Spring. years ago, you know. Spring of uh, I will 17? Ask yeah. JP to get that for you. Great. And but God love Jeremy and Nishamini. I mean, they've been sponsoring now for... Uh, Going yeah. on th- almost three years now, yeah. and I mean, we need you know, a new life. <laughs> uh, yeah, we do. But like you know, of the thousands of of brewers, I don't want to overstate the case, but I know a lot of BN listeners went on to become professional brewers, you know, and now own these breweries. And you know, there have not been a ton of them. Understandably, I know margins are you know everything's tight, but there have not been a ton of them, you know, that have been like, hey, you know, I'm going to come back around, and I you know I listen to those shows all the time, and now I'm going to run my brewery's spots on this. But Jeremy yeah. did that, and he's been doing it for a long time. So mm-hmm. God love them, and still making great beer. Yeah, won the bronze for smoke lager. Indeed, again. yep, as predicted by someone <laughs> on the show. <laughs> win bronze for smoke lager. Uh, we had, we teased a, a question without saying what it was before the break, and I just want to remind you that this question and all questions are brought to you by Doctor Lambic and his team at Sour Beer Blog. Check out the best sour beer articles in the game. Sour Beer Blog for a great written resource devoted to teaching you how to brew and blend sour beer at home. And now the Sour Beer Blog crew is opening a new brewery. In fact, that's open in central Pennsylvania. Check them out. Mellow Mink Brewing at mellowmink.com. Okay, so hang in with this uh, with this question, Night Shift guys, because it's a little long, and I'm going to try to be as succinct as possible. This is Joe and Matt joining us for another segment. It's from Eric. Eric says, I don't really have a specific question or concern so much as I'd be interested in hearing observations, opinions, and advice on his first sour. So he said, I racked the beer from the stainless conical it had fermented in into a better beer bottle before inoculating, which is where I kind of changed course. My, my batch size was smaller than anticipated. I ended up with four gallons in the six-gallon better bottle. I was worried about all the headspace that was left, so I impulsively made uh, a gallon on 1040 starter wort and dumped that in as well. To that, I pitched a smack pack of Brett Brooks, and I also added an ounce of French oak cubes I'd been soaking for a week in red wine. At that point, I decided to also pitch some bottle drags, just for the hell of it, from supplication to some modern times Keller, etc., etc. I then put an airlock on it. I covered it with a cardboard box. I left it in my 55 to 65 degree basement, and then I didn't touch it for four months. It formed a pellicle pretty quickly. It's still on there. Yesterday, I pulled my first sample, and it's pretty tasty. The aroma is all horse blanket pineapple, with pineapple coming across in the flavor as well. The acidity is very prominent, but it's you know not unpleasant. There's no vinegar. There's no nail polish. It's more reminiscent of lemon juice. He says a piece of pineapple with no sweetness. So that said, I didn't think it would take a whole ton more acidity before it started to be too much. He said the 
wood wasn't detectable, and I did not pull enough beer to take a gravity reading. He says, I, let, I plan to let the beer go another five months or so and then add some fruit to it if it still tastes like something I'd want to drink. Based on the current flavor, I'm thinking maybe peach or apricot. So I guess he just kind of wants uh, opinions about that course that he took for this, this first beer of his. You know, what, did you, what do you guys like? What would you have done differently? I'll start with this one. I think the fact that you saw the headspace and thought maybe this would be a problem and tried to adjust, I think that was good. I'm glad it turned out well. I would have been worried if it didn't turn out well that maybe there just wasn't enough viable yeast that was added at that point where you're adding more sugar. But with the bottle dregs and the Brett Brooks, perhaps you had enough. It seems like you did. If you're already getting acid development, I wouldn't wait another five months to add the fruit because if you're waiting for that to go in a sour beer all the way to completion, then that's going to be at least a month, could be up to three. And, you know, God forbid you have an off flavor develop and it's going to be even longer. So that'd be my only suggestion moving forward with your plan. But yeah, it seems like it worked out and that's a good thing. Yeah. That was the part I didn't really, it wasn't really clear to me is like, why was he deciding to wait another five months? He says it's his first sour beer, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's my experience that if if the beer is already tasting good, then it's good. Mm-hmm. That means it's good. You don't have to be in on these strict timelines. But I don't know. Joe, Matt, what do you guys think about that? I agree. I would definitely get the uh, get the fruit in there as soon as possible. Yeah. I mean, we, we've experienced this in ourselves where we just keep waiting for, you know, peak flavor or whatever that whatever that is defined as. And sometimes you just miss it. So, you know, sometimes you just it's best to strike while the iron's hot and and if you got a really tasty beer, um, you know, enjoy Strike. it. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> I would also pull enough for a, a gravity sample, just just so you kind of know where you're at prior to adding your fruit, and so you kind of know what you're working towards uh, post fruit addition. Yeah, we've had barrels that have evaporated over time, and and you know, gone bad because of that. So with time, you know, you're going to lose some some liquid, and so that can add more headspace and. If it's good, get get after it. Yeah, I think all all good advice, and yeah, you you, get, you think about this peak beer thing, and it it's just it's almost impossible to hit. So I, I would think about the ingredient and how maybe it's not like the best the beer will ever taste, but maybe you're trying to land in you know a, a good comfortable zone for the base beer plus the ingredient because you kind of want. And I don't mean this in a gross way. You want the two things to finish at the same time. That's not gross. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing when it happens. <laughs> but if the beer isn't going to need to age for a lot longer, or if there's an off flavor that develops, and you know those timelines don't match up, then you're just—it's a very painful process as a brewer because you're just along the way tasting the beer when it could be at its best, but other components are not at their best, and. It's been hard. I mean, we've had beers at the Rare Barrel where, you know, we added fruit and then we packaged it and then it de- it would develop THP in the package and we're like, oh, no. no. And then the worst version of that, and then we changed our processes afterwards a little bit to make things better, but the worst of that was um, a beer that took about six months to clean up the THP fully. And by the time it came out, I think everyone else really loved the beer, but we had been experiencing it, tasting it every two weeks of the fruit character falling off slowly over time. And so that was a very painful process. So yeah, I would, I would agree. Get started on the fruit as soon as you can. And then, you know, they'll both be cohabitating from there and then on. You can just pull the trigger when you want. 
time is your best friend until it is not, and then it is your worst enemy. Yeah. It's just Absolutely. Thanks Absolutely. for the question, Eric. We appreciate it. And, you know, I wonder if we can, is there some sort of, um, you know, program we can implement to tackle THP once and for all, like the March of Dimes conquered polio? Like, you know, we just get something going get so we can read books. figure this THP out. <laughs> figure, you know, it's such a scourge. God. Yeah. We have a team of top people working on it. You do? Right okay, now. good. That's top people. comforting. <laughs> all right. What do we have? We have, Next a, we beer. have beer. Yeah. Yes. Let's open this beer. This is what? It's finished at the same time. Oh, no. Menage a trois is what it's called. Well, that's uh, even more complicated because now you got another factor. It's, it's drama. <laughs> Just like sour beer. Uh, dark mixed fermentation sour ale with sweet cherries, it says. Tart cherries and chocolate. All right. Let's pour this oh, yeah. and hear the guys tell us a little bit about how this beer came to be. Yeah. And tell us how you got the um, TTB to approve the label. <laughs> Uh, all right, so first question. We never sent this out of the tap room, and Massachusetts doesn't uh, require us to have label approval if uh, we're just selling it out of the tap room. Nice. So yeah. just nix that one right in the, right in the butt. <laughs> um, they're on furlough anyway. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, so true. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> this, uh, this beer was brewed at, uh, dreamed up by one of our brewers uh, on staff, Isaac, and he's got a bunch of good friends up at Four Quarters, which is a brewery up in Vermont. So he traveled up there. They kind of brewed an IPA version with a bunch of different, I think it was like strawberry and it was sort of like a Neapolitan. And then when they came down here, we brewed kind of the sour version of it using our kind of souring process and all that stuff. Obviously, we were super stoked to host them. They're great people. I would highly recommend their brewery. They're uh, super nice, make great beer. But one of the most exciting parts about this was we've never really done our sour process with uh, dark beer before. And this isn't super dark. A lot of this color came from the cherry puree, again, Oregon fruit. But um, we did add a decent amount of uh, Carafa Special 3, which is essentially dehusked dark German malt. We added that at Vorloff. So instead of mashing that and allowing kind of the more uh, acidic characters of dark malt to kind of seep into the base beer. We used it, we tried to use it as much for color as possible. So that's kind of where that backbone comes from. And then during fermentation, it was a uh, 60-40 split between sweet cherry puree and tart cherry puree. And then we added uh, chalaca, which is essentially liquefied uh, cacao nib towards the end, which has no sugar. So that's kind of added post-crash and just kind of steeped for a little bit as it settles out in the fermenter. So here's a crazy thought. I first experienced that, the cacao you're speaking of. The first one Mississippi is coffee, roasty. I don't know. My palate was like, ooh, coffee. But then, you know, I know there's no coffee in here. And then that immediately goes away, and it's like, oh, no, this is this is like dark, roasty chocolate. So, okay, here's the crazy idea. What if you were going to make a coffee beer, but you don't actually use coffee? You use this, and that way you don't have any of the whole, like, green pepper weirdness that can come with coffee sometimes, but there's totally the perception of coffee. Do you think I'm way off base? I don't think so. We've used this in a couple beers. One was a coffee chocolate beer, so that was obviously a little hard to separate. But, you know, I think one of the interesting points that you hit on, I think you would have to eliminate a lot of the residual sugar for it to not come off as chocolate, right? So your first initial hit, you're not quite getting that sugar content yet from the sweet cherry. And mm. I think that sweet cherry is kind of what kicks it over into the chocolate chocolate realm versus the co- like the dry coffee realm. 
So I think you just have to be careful of that. But outside of that, I think that's a pretty cool idea. Yeah, agreed. Nice. And one thing I'm thinking through having all these different beers, all extremely solid, really good stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, you know, along the way, along your trials and errors, and maybe while these beers are, you know, becoming ready to release, what are the pitfalls that you guys have seen, you know, with with your process? What are some of the off flavors you're always on the lookout for? You know, so I'm just imagining the brewer or brewers and myself included out there who, you know, would like to kind of take what you're saying and learn from it. What what would you expect someone like that to experience that you've already had experience with? To me, the the first thing we we've had a lot of issues with diacetyl. You know, in these cases, in or sorry, in these beers, time is not really our friend because we're trying to make them production beers, right? So we're we're giving them four to six weeks at most, and so we don't really have the luxury of saying, "Oh, we'll try this again in two weeks, and maybe the the Brett will have cleaned up that odd flavor or whatever it is." Right? Really dialing in uh, your diacetyl testing process, knowing when to start testing, especially if you're looking to make them consistently, uh, knowing when to start testing so you have the most amount of time to crash before you need to package. Uh, I would say being on the production schedule side, uh, that is my most important thing. Matt? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, we, we've seen so many issues. In the beginning, it was, as we mentioned, the beginning of the segment or the uh, this program was the primary issues were just getting consistent souring batch to batch. So, you know, that was, that was the first, you know, major challenge. And once we kind of solved that, it was just tweaking, you know, one variable at a time and, you know, trying to limit the amount of variables we change so we can kind of draw conclusions about, okay, we, we modified the, the knockout temperature. What is the effect on flavor profile? Or we added the fruit at day five this time instead of day 10. You know, what was the effect on overall tank time? You know, so th- those are those were the things. And the, the main thing, you know, that that we kind of learned is, you know, if you change three variables, you, you don't know what those are doing. So you, you got to really kind of put a hypothesis out there and then say, OK, well, the next batch we want to just try tweaking this one little thing or maybe just, you know, these two little things so we can, you know, narrow in on the, you know, the cause and the effect so we can learn and, and just kind of continually improve both on the process side, but also, you know, ultimately on the final product and, and the stability and the consistency for the consumer. One kind of behind the scenes note is back when we first went down this path of like, okay, we want to can the Weiss beers. We only had one canning line and we uh, were really hesitant to put, these mixed ferments through that canning line when we were going to package our our core beers alongside of that. So uh, we actually did go down the path of trying to kettle sour a bunch, and that's kind of where we first learned this process because maybe the first three kettle sours, we changed maybe 10 variables across three. And Well, number one, we still never got them to work, yeah. so we gave up on that idea. But number two was just like, all right, we gotta we gotta come up with if if we really want to make this production worthy or or a production capable beer, we really gotta take our time in dialing in our process, which allowed us to slow down and eventually develop what we're doing now. Yeah, and, and and we brought it back to basics, and and I think that was where, you know, for a while we we're trying to get really complex and you know do things that we read about in you know the NBA or the ASBC, and we didn't we didn't quite have the right equipment or the right. The, you know, the capital with which to buy the right equipment. So 
I'm thinking of like for a while I was convinced that we had to start propagating lacto ourselves to make this work and you know just just kind of really simplifying it and saying okay well lactobacillus it likes it likes warmth uh, it hates hops you know that was that was kind of those were the two main variables that allowed us to get good consistent souring and then you know going from there and then we focused on the yeast and once we got the yeast sorted out we played with a few strains and a few variables there and we kind of found a process that was relatively repeatable we that being said, we still have issues. Like so, I mentioned earlier, we brewed a Berliner after uh, a double IPA, and that thing didn't sour. And so we were just scratching our heads why. Or we we would brew, um, you know, some Gozas, and and they would take three days to sour instead of the normal twenty four hours. And so we started just kind of collecting data. And then with collecting data, sometimes you don't know what you're doing it for, but then you have an issue, and you realize, oh hey, I can go back on this wealth of of uh, knowledge that I've collected and. and try and draw some, you know, conclusions backed and backed and numbers. I think that's a great piece of advice. And speaking of that, you guys have been more than generous with your time. And your beer. And the beer, yeah. Great quantity sent for yes. sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, right, we have a to fill up the case. Yeah, you got to fill the box. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a good call. And that, that we what that means is we have a supply for the uh, post-show poker game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's sure. going to be a night shift kind of game. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But before we uh, let you guys go, one thing I wanted to ask you is, what do you guys think the biggest mistake in sour beer making is? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, we've probably done it. I will I will <laughs> say that, whatever it is. To me, it's it's not... It's trying to do too many things at once. You know, you have a lot of projects that you end up not being able to treat with the same amount of time. And you end up getting lucky with a, a few of them, but the majority of them, you kind of miss that peak characteristic like we were talking about before. Uh, we kind of think of it like a bell curve, and you're just trying to get it. You're trying to catch that barrel at the top as much as often as possible, or that beer for that matter, not necessarily that single oak barrel. So keeping it small and manageable until you are able to hand that off to someone who's that's their entire role is to me kind of the largest that's probably the biggest mistake that we've made yeah i totally agree with that good point Matt. yeah exactly <laughs> you, you, you know what's quickly become like strikes again <laughs> <laughs> you know my favorite my quickly has become my favorite part about uh asking that question is that uh, there there tends to the, the pauses between you finishing the question and the response is getting longer and longer like but before we uh let you guys go one thing i wanted to ask you is what do you guys think the biggest mistake in sour beer making is <laughs> really considering it Oh, man. <laughs> I love it. The pauses are so good. It's gold. So, wait, is that just a recording of us? I, I thought you were asking again. <laughs> You're like, uh, are we on the air? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I, I have noticed that. And I also think it's funny because it's like the only question I definitely ask every Right, time. right. And inevitably, it's always it's like, like, oh, man. Tough question. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Awesome. But, uh, all right, you guys are off the hot seat, done yeah, with the tough yeah. questions. Thanks again so much for your time and the beer. And uh, if people are uh, out there wanting to try your beer, where can they get it? So the brewery is located in Everett, Massachusetts. Uh, we have a really good footprint in Massachusetts for distribution. And then we send some to Maine and some to New York, generally just Manhattan. Yeah, if you, but if you want, you know, the, the, the small releases, the smaller batches, like like the Menage a Trois that we were just trying, you got to come to the tap room for those. But we do try to send 
you know, our main Berliner series out to the, the wholesale market. So awesome. everyone can try it. Very cool. And Sweet. those who haven't been, I definitely recommend going out to Night Shift. It's a great place, great people, decent cornhole players, <laughs> and just okay, an awesome right. environment. <laughs> did we ever buy you that pizza? I don't think so. Did you, we were pretty broke at the time. Did you, did you win a pizza in cornhole that they never yeah, made good I, on? I think we bet like pizzas for the tasting room staff. Oh. And uh, – there, you know what? To be honest, I, we can we can we can do it for each other's staffs because their right. boards were just like a little too close, and, mm. I, and I think Alex and I just. Well, anyway, we got to run. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is this regulation size or what? No, no, <laughs> you guys are great, and I've uh, been a fan of uh, Night Shift pretty much since the beginning. And uh, if you guys out there are listening and haven't had it yet, go seek them out. They're one of the best breweries. In the country, in my opinion. So uh, listen to their words, drink their beers, and uh, thank him if you see him for coming on the show. And I'll thank you guys right now, too. Thank you very much yeah, for having us. You. We yeah, appreciate thank you very it. much. Awesome, guys. Have a, have a good night, and go Chargers. <laughs> <laughs> thank see you, ya. fellas. Appreciate right, it. Good guys. Joe Mashburn, Matt Eshelman from Night Shift. Great guys. Awesome beers. And, uh, yeah, that was good Good talking with them. It was. Man, these beers are just so good. Solid lineup. Yeah, and you're right. We do have a lot of extras for, for poker tonight. Can't so wait. It'll be good. Uh, we got one more segment on this uh, show before we get off and go play cards. Yeah, definitely. Let's uh, take a quick break. We'll be right back on the Sour Hour. Hey, my brewing brothers and sisters, this is Jamel Zanisha, and I love a bold, hoppy beer when it spits resin in your face and makes you cry, Uncle. There are a lot of great hoppy beers out there, but at Heretic, we want to make something as bold, dank, and resiny as possible. We use hops at every chance we get, including multiple dry hop additions. The result is Heretic Evil Cousin. This light golden, 8% Imperial IPA has an easy malt character that helps take the edge off the massive bittering but it takes a back seat to the in-your-face hop character. We make sure this beer finishes dry so the hops can jump out and slam me in the taste buds. If you can't get enough hoppy goodness, Evil Cousin is your cup of tea. Cheers. Trying to watch some football. We're Jay back. got into some trouble in New Orleans. That was a long time ago. Scott. That was in my younger days. <laughs> Who gets and it, I wasn't a, in trouble at all. Kicked out of a Buffalo Wild Wings. It's like a it, bad punchline. Just now that we're on the show, I should say for the record, <laughs> had basically nothing to do with me. Uh-huh. No, and, I didn't. Uh, they it loved us. Yeah, yeah. But we were also asked to leave because of uh, someone in our party. <laughs> People laughing. They really did love us. We were great. We were great. He's great. <laughs> Speaking of love, I love Brew Strong. Just want to let you know. And Dr. Homebrew, Brewing with Style, Heads and Tails, Shine Runner, and Trace Cervezas. Hop and Brew School and the Session, Scott. I do too. And you know, Brian from Dr. Homebrew 
He mm-hmm. won the grand prize at the uh, post-Christmas Christmas party that we did a couple nights ago at the Rare Barrel. Yes. He won uh, a trip to Fort Collins, flights and hotel and, and put Satellite him up. Satellite Brewing and, Network headquarters. Exactly. And, uh, you know, maybe set up some tours for him and stuff at the, you know, many breweries that Fort Collins has. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, the uh, Dr. Homebrew staff are going to be out and about. Uh, the date is undetermined, but the shows are great. Brian deserves it. Very cool. And I want to thank uh, the American Homebrewers Association. HomebrewAssociation.org, and they're a great app. Brew Guru, it's free. What can it do for you? Well, it can. Effortlessly. Nice. Find deals and save money on beer, food, and brewing supplies. It'll level up your brew IQ with hand-picked articles, proven recipes, and trusted resources from the aforementioned American Homebrewers Association and Zymergy Magazine. You can also use this powerful brewery locator to find nearby breweries, tap rooms, beer bars, homebrew supply shops, and brew pubs wherever you are. Brew Guru will lead you to good beer and beer enlightenment. It's free for iPhone, iPad, and Android devices. Learn more at homebrewersassociation.org. Now, I'm sure that the Brew Guru would point you toward, if you were near it, of course, Probably Moonlight. Moonlight Meadery. Yes, indeed. Moonlight Meadery. If you don't know it, you should, because they're the reference standards for meat category in the BJCP style guidelines. That's how good... Meat. Meat. Yeah. Mead. Oh, meat. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, well, no, they're the it's best like ribeye, yeah, prime rib. Yeah. They can't be topped. Also, meads. And um, by the way, fuck you, Bud Light, for this whole <laughs> anti-mead. Have you seen this? Well, what was it again? So this whole now, like, medieval thing they have going with the Bud Knight and the King, and he likes Bud Light. And there's this guy in a bar who likes mead, and so the king, like, makes fun of him for liking mead and being particular about it. And so they're, like, anti-craft beer, anti-mead pretty hard Yeah, they've been doing this anti-craft beer thing for a few years now. Didn't they debut a Super Bowl commercial, what, like, maybe three or four years back, or maybe even less than that, where it was like, uh, we don't do the whole craft thing. It was very much like a jab at the craft beer industry. Our beer tastes like nothing. (laughs) Suck it. Yeah. All you people that like your beer to taste like something, suckers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to find it right now. It's like Miller Lite differentiates themselves by having more taste, air quotes. Come on. (laughs) Oh, you can actually taste bad hops. Wasn't there also something about the guy who brings the watermelon beer? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Bud Light, watermelon. You, you had it right there. The uh, the non-Super Bowl one right there. So this is a new one. Maybe I didn't know this one, the, the mead one. It just came out? You were just playing it. Most, yeah, I know yeah. I was. But I was trying to find the, the uh, watermelon one oh, that yeah, talking yeah. about. This is it. Barkeep, Bud Light's for everyone. Actually, um, I prefer a nice mead. Barkeep, Bud Light's for everyone, and a mead. Is it autumnal? Bud Light's for everyone, and one autumnal mead. Is it malty and full-bodied, because I like malt... Now he's in the stuff. Yeah. Cancel that mead. (laughs) Bud Light, for the many, not the few. Right, so you're not allowed to like anything but Bud Light. That's cool. Right, for the many. Yeah, for the the proletariat. I'm sure there's one... (laughs) douchey mead liker like that guy but guess what regular people love mead mead's good yeah yeah it's super good the the hoi polloi like mead in fact they like moonlight mead yeah yeah definitely what's not to like fuck you bud light god bud light why 
Anyway, Moonlight Meadery, an awesome deal right now. If you use code BNARMY at MoonlightMeadery.com slash shop, you can save 10% on two or more bottles of Bud Light. Wait, that seems like a typo. <laughs> two, or more, two or more bottles of, uh, of awesome Moonlight Mead, and you won't have to be worried about... You won't, don't oh, so worry it's about, 90 cents instead of a dollar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you won't be talked down to by some smug marketing interns over there at AB InBev. <laughs> You'll just get some awesome Moonlight Mead, so go support Hell our sponsors. Yeah. Go support our homie Michael at MoonlightMeadery.com slash shop and use code BNARMY. Definitely. Yeah. Meat for life. Is it autumnal? I mean, it's a funny commercial. It's but funny. It's just because that guy's a douche. It's funny. It's like he could have been talking about anything there. Craft beer, natural wine. Fill in the blanks. Sure. Jellies. <laughs> All right. Questions and then yeah. get the heck out of here? Absolutely. Okay. So let's do, I saved this one because the guys from- Unless uh, Bevo, should we do another show? Bevo, you were down for a third? Bevo's nodding I, feverishly. Did I hear you suggest that? Yes. That's a negative for me. Negatory. Oh, okay. Is that like negative, like good? Yeah, like your test result is negative. Oh Congratulations. Your test <laughs> that is means negative. good. We're doing a th- another show. <laughs> doing it alone. <laughs> We're used to that. <laughs> uh, I was looking for those words and I just couldn't find it for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now I didn't. I didn't do this one on the, when we had the night shift guys on because if I if I remember correctly, at the top of the first show with them, they were saying that they don't measure TA. Did, did they say that's that? correct? Okay, cool. So here I'm now that they're gone. Here is a TA <laughs> comment that was awkward <laughs> uh, from Tyler um, who says uh, non brewcaster Jay and Scott with let's see one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven T's. Wow! Uh, and anyone who may monitor the show's mailbox not these though. Not be well. In response to a question about measuring TA, um, this is from a few episodes ago now. Jay mentioned a piece of Hanna hardware that measures uh, it for you that is relatively inexpensive. I wanted to point out that the T in TA stands for titratable, of course. This is a relatively easy, simple, and inexpensive lab procedure. If you already have a pH meter, you can be very accurate with minimal investment. If you um, if you do not, you will have to purchase some phenyl phenyl. What is that word? Phenyl plethen. I don't know, some sure. chemical company. Yeah, methamphetamine indicator, uh, but it will be much less accurate. I will list the items needed and what I purchased from Amazon or would have. So I'm not going to read these because these are just product links. But let's see, 20 bucks, 40 60 80 85 90, uh, about 120 bucks or something like that, it looks like. If you guys are interested in any of these uh, products that Tyler is recommending, email me, scott at the com, and I'll be mm-hmm. happy to share them with you. So anyway, he says, he goes on, if you already have a pH meter and don't need a way to measure your samples... If you're interested in taking advantage of a non meter option, this right. is one. Cheaper, more labor-intensive, more time-intensive. But, yeah, if you, if you want to try it out before buying a big, expensive meter, then that's the way to go. For, for sure. sure. But we just have a lot more samples to test. So, But a good good alternative. The Hanna one is, what was it, like $500? Mm, or more, more is that? Okay, remember. six, six, seven, something yeah. like that? Okay. So the the final part of it, he, Tyler is writing from uh, Endless Pint Brewing. A little shout out to Endless Pint. He says uh, they've been open about three months, still figuring out a lot. Uh, they plan on doing kettle sours um, pretty much straight away in the next month or two. They're a three BBL nano. It will probably be a while until we can do long age mix ferment beers, but definitely a goal. Hopefully, I can send you guys beer uh, at that point. We will be waiting with open arms, Tyler. So good luck at Endless Pint, dude. And thank you for the links. And again, you can email me if you want me to share any of Tyler's info. where is Endless Pint located? In Versailles, Ohio. All right. All right. Let's see if we can do one more before we call it a night. 
Here's an, it is another TA thing from Casey. Casey says, hello, recently purchased the total acid test kit for making cider and fruit wines. However, there are only instructions for grape must adjustments. I've noticed the color does not change using these other musts. Would it be safe to say that since the color reaction happens at 8.2 pH, that I can additionally use a pH meter to measure when this color change has occurred? And would this then be for tartaric acid? I don't know the test kit. Hmm, well, okay. we have to answer this question, or or else I'm just missing something here, which is probable. Maybe I'm not reading it that clearly. You know, Google it. Yeah, I'm, see, I don't know. <laughs> Use, milk, milk, milk the funk, of course, too, is another <laughs> great resource. I'm not the best at like the the blow by blow of running the titrated bullicity test, actually, to be honest. So, I mean, or, we have now we have this machine. So there you go. Just buy the Hannah thing, call it a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think we should uh, we should call it a night. I yeah. want to go play well, cards. One more. You want to do one more? I mean, we didn't really answer. Yeah, that's true. First one wasn't a question. The second one, we didn't have an answer. Should I scroll like way down to October 7, 2014? Sure. (laughs) That's a super old one. Uh, Okay, let's do this one from Kellen Wilkins from October 20, 2014. Mm. Hi, J. Scott and Bevo. In the first two episodes, you guys were talking about the base recipes you were using at the Rare Barrel, and I was thinking of doing something similar with a few variations. He he lists his grain bill here. 70% pills, 10% wheat, 10% spelt, 5% special aromatic, 5% golden naked oats. I was wondering if the golden naked oats would still provide the same mouthfeel that the rolled oats provide. Also, after your preference for spelt and trying some grisette saisons from Oxbow Brewing that use a large portion of spelt in the malt bill, I thought I would up the percentage a bit. Uh, Lastly, you didn't mention any hops in your base recipe. (laughs) Do you not include hops except as dry hops in some recipes? So it's interesting, the nature of the questions from those base beers. Yeah, I mean, it's great. When we came out with the Rare Barrel recipes, it really was quite popular. And I see on Milk the Funk or on, like, homebrew forums or something like that, just people mentioning, like, oh, I did Rare Barrel Gold recipe, Rare Barrel Gold recipe. And it's like, that's awesome. I mean, really, it's just, it's it's a starting point, and we kind of took it from a blend of Berliner goose kind of bases that are just slightly different, just a few more ingredients layered in there. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, the the oats, you can interchange those out fine. It's just a little different uh, flavor, I would say. So using more spelt, yeah, the only thing I didn't like is using too much wheat. So I, I find spelt to be, like, a cleaner version of wheat so go ahead and do that and hops yeah we used to use very little hops like one ibu and now we're consistently in the 2025 ibu range now that our culture is so much stronger is your plan to uh gradually up that as needed to control the culture i think it's in a good spot right now i mean we could go higher and we probably will from time to time but um at the end of the day, you just got to worry about, am I making the beer too bitter now? Mm-hmm. Now, it does age for a long time, so a lot of that goes away. Um, and I haven't had any of our beers that I thought were even close to being on the too bitter scale. So mm-hmm. we could probably go a little higher if we wanted to ensure that the beer doesn't get sour, but 20 to 30 IBU ranges where we're comfortable. For sure. Well, thank you for the question, Kellen, and I'm sorry it took us five years to answer it. Nailed it, though. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, nailed it. <laughs> All right, that's it. Thank you to the listeners for your questions and for listening. Download and subscribe. Tell your friends. Thanks to all the sponsors. We got them all right. Yeah, we got it. Yes. Uh, thanks to Beva. Thanks, thanks Beva. Beve. Welcome. 
Thanks to you, Scott. You're welcome. Let me take your money a little bit. Let's play some cards. Until next time, Space Tavern. At one point, craft just becomes crazy.